0: Mr. Bond. Hello, everybody. This is Joshua Hatton with One Nation (laughs) Under Whiskey podcast. I'm joined today, and I'm joined as always by uh, a newer uh, member of the Keepers of the Quake. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, My good friend, my business partner, my apparently my my wife. Now, there's been a picture out where people are saying we've got married. Lots of congratulations happening. Lots of congratulations. I, I'm feeling the love. It makes me <laughs> makes me feel good. Jason Johnson Yellen, my co-host, my
1: business partner. <laughs> my I feel an incomplete Joshua Hatton list coming on. <laughs> How you doing, man? I'm all right. I'm all right. Just as you make mention here, and we'll circle back to it in, in, in due course, but in today's interview, you will hear me many times saying, mm-hmm. Okay, I don't want to make a Joshua Hatton declarative statement here, (laughs) but, and then things like, I don't want to make an incomplete Joshua Hatton list here, but, and so I really, I really think of you and I think of those things now. You're really, you're really deep inside me. Hey now. (laughs) I'm just excited.
0: It shouldn't last more than four hours, so you'll be happy to hear that. You know, I, I feel as if my incomplete lists, I think there's an endearing quality
1: to them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love the person with the affliction being the person who says, I think that's kind of endearing though. <laughs> like, Well, you put a, a little finger in your dimple. I think I'm very cute. <laughs> very much so. Very much so. It's good to be known for things. That would be another angle. Because, mm. Just good to be known, right? It is good to be known, but the way you spin it
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's, it seems to be more in the pejorative, and the way that I spin it is whatever the <laughs> the antithesis then I'm sure to the then
1: is. I'm sure the truth is somewhere between the two then.
0: <laughs> what is the opposite of pejorative, like like the fancy word?
1: That means you can't just the bring internet. these things on me. I've got a forty-eight-year-old brain nowadays. You can't just spring these you, you, you things read, you on me. Like and expect like an immediate books a response. Day. You should, you should
0: like know every word there is. You eat a dictionary <laughs> once a week.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Let me, let me, let me sit with it. I'm sure, as always, I'm sure various listeners are shouting at their wireless radio right now yeah, with that, the answers. Yeah, that could very well be. So. I know in a little bit we're going to get
0: to, to our guest, uh, or, or guests, guests, I should say. Yeah, um, you have any
1: feedback on me saying that guest?
0: But uh, you, had, you had mentioned this the other day when we are trying to schedule a new slate of guests. And, and here we are in October, November, December, right? We're in that time frame. It's a big ask. Right? And and the world has opened up because COVID has, quote-unquote, ended. Um, Those are very (laughs) large quotes. I understand much of the world is not doing so great. Those quotes are doing a lot of heavy lifting. lifting. A lot of heavy lifting. But but it's been interesting, right, because I'm traveling again, you're traveling. Many of the people who we want to interview are traveling once again. And so we're, we're looking to schedule time with guests, and we're finding more often than not, What's happening is you're going to interview someone solo. I'm going to interview someone solo. Yeah. Jess is going to right, and, and yep. so yep. How do you how do you feel about that?
1: I think on one hand, we've moved away from Zoom. Now, in, in moving season six, we away moving right, away. right. Yeah. In, in season six, we have clearly interviewed people on Zoom. Yeah, but it was to fill in the gap of the pandemic when we were not going anywhere. Yeah, yeah. If we had our druthers, we'd be interviewing people in person. There would be a dram. We would be eyeballing people. It's mm-hmm. it's a different setup. Yeah. And so right now, and, and I think you're right to say it the way you said it a moment ago, in moving away from Zoom, but still having it up our sleeve when mm. need be, mm-hmm. I think there's a compromise happening, which is there are people you're seeing solo in your travels yeah. who it's worth interviewing one-on-one in person because it's a little bit friendlier mm. than the Zoom. And it feels a little bit more natural, a little bit more like the before times. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I and I think that compromise is in place for myself and jess as well mm-hmm. and, and and this is to say you know when she interviewed richard with mcmira that was not in person he, he was down in london she was up in glasgow oh, that's so right. it, yeah. it's not really like that happened in person but we are working um on a, a schedule there that hopefully the next interview will be an in-person for jess as well mm-hmm. and and so i'm okay with it the thing we've said in the past as well is it's kind of fun to listen to where we decided to go in a solo interview. Yeah. Even though in our heads there's always that I think I know what the next question would be from Joshua or Jason, potentially Jess here as well. Mm-hmm. And maybe I'm asking this on behalf of them, but I I would really say in my one-on-ones, mm-hmm. I'm thinking really hard about our listeners. <laughs> and I'm thinking where do the listeners want this interview to go? And what do they want to know? And and again, we're talking about it without talking about it. In today's interview, I was very aware of Amanda being on for the second time. Mm. And us sitting doing this interview at Virginia Distillery Company for the second time. Yeah. And and the thing I'd said to Amanda at the end of the interview was I was aware of what we talked about. I did have to look up my records I interviewed her July of 2021 the episode went live maybe the August maybe even into the September I haven't double-checked that part but I was down there the end of July 2021 and when I was sitting there the other day I was thinking It was probably March I was down here doing this interview, you know. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Nope, it was July of of last year. So there were things that that we were covering that I knew were part of the first interview. Mm -hmm. But whereas the first interview had a getting to know you, what was your journey? Who Mm -hmm. are your mentors? Mm -hmm. What was the the putting together of VDC like? This time they became very quick jumping off points. Yeah for and tell me more about yeah, sure, barrels. Sure. Right? Tell me more about what you're seeing in the new make or the or the the wash that's then going into this process. Yeah. And so we went down that path. We then also had Brian join us this time, Brian Hersey. Mm-hmm. And and you know, you, you know listeners will hear in the interview he, he unfortunately joined us late. He actually got called out to do work, which What Sorry, Brian. Sucks to be you. We said that on the day. <laughs> it sucks to be you. Um, yeah, I had, uh, a tractor trailer, an 18 wheeler, uh, you know, a, oh, a, no. a big long lorry showed up with casks for unloading. Oh, okay. so, man. The, the,
0: I was I was picturing it like it, it crashed into the, some part of their property. Like I thought there was an emergency to be to happen here.
1: I don't know if I meant to tell you, but it kind of did. So oh, no <laughs> <here> you are. <laughs> but that that wasn't why he was called out. Oh, he okay. was actually called out for the unloading and he had to go fire up the, the forklift okay. to get okay. it done. the The reason that I wanted Amanda and Brian on record on WAX today is my trips down there mm-hmm. are spent in... The cask house with Brian and Amanda, mm-hmm. and they they riff off each other. They mm-hmm. they'll talk about individual casks, the the development they've seen oh, there, the wow. maturation they've seen there. Do you remember when this was doing X and now it's doing oh, Y? Yeah, I do, I do, I do. And remember the season when that was happening? We talk about seasons in today's interview uh, oh, as yeah. well. Yeah. And the effect that they have on this this uh, cask house. And so Amanda is, is clearly wonderful and, and incredibly knowledgeable, and mm-hmm. incredibly mm-hmm. good at what she does. And, and so is Brian. Yeah. But I think the role is easier for Amanda to have a customer facing opportunity. Hmm. I think she'll go out and do festivals. She'll go out and do tastings. She gets a chance to talk about the blending that she does in-house at VDC. Mm -hmm. And Brian, who's in charge of the warehouse and moving things around, uh, as you'll hear in today's interview, He's incredibly knowledgeable as well. Yeah, <laughs> there's no, yeah, yeah. there's no getting away from that, and and he could pretty much break down individual profiles of casts in the warehouse. So <sighs> so I wanted the, the the guy who would be easy to think about as quote unquote just the forklift driver. Yeah, is so much more than that, and and he and he and Amanda have a terrific relationship. And and I was just sad that you don't get to hear as much of Brian today mm-hmm. in the interview because mm-hmm. he was called away to do the unloading. But we, we get him back for maybe the last 15, 20 minutes okay. uh, of the interview. I, I I like the way you're
0: talking about him. It reminds me um, when, when Madhu was in town with me mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we started doing some classes and he's introducing people... You know, by way of PowerPoint and just conversation in general, you know, pictures of the distillery and the still house and the warehouse. And then he shows a picture of and and I, I apologize to, to Madhu and, and this gentleman. I I don't remember his name off the top of my head. But he said, and, and here's the guy who's in, in charge of the warehouse. And you just see him like <laughs> rolling the cask along. And and Madhu says, you know, don't don't let that fool you. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. When I say he's in charge of the warehouse, he knows those casks in and out. And they've got 10,000 plus casks. And yeah, to to say, you know, this is just the person in charge of moving the casks around. No, quite often they have that intimate knowledge of what's in the warehouse and what those casks are doing. So, so I like the way, I, I like how you framed that.
1: Yeah. And I think... I think that is often a mistake we make when we see the the customer facing person. Yeah. That you think, that person is is doing all this themselves. And Amanda's one of the first people to say, I'm not doing this myself. I am yeah. a member of a team. Yeah. And this is my role within this team. Yeah. And and here's Brian with whom I work very closely. Um, yeah, it's I, I really I really enjoy them both. I think they're both really special people. And 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 I'm really in love with Virginia Distillery Company as well. I I get to drive down, you know, and I know you're a very proud uh, Connecticutan. Um, Connecticut, I think that's, thank a, you. Connectican. I think I, think yeah, I got it right first. Connectican, because we're cute. Connecticutan. Yeah. Uh, okay Whoa, uh, that, hey, that hey. Pronunciation, no. that went very Kant. wrong direction. The,
0: the philosopher's name is Kant,
1: actually, Exactly. <laughs> rhymes with aunt. Yeah. So... <laughs> I know you I know you love Kennedy. I know you love the changing of the leaves and seeing you the other week and, mm. and that brewery that we went to, that farmhouse brewery in that setting in Kennedy, oh, yeah. spectacular, right. yeah. really nice. Yeah. But with that said, I get to drive through the Shenandoah Valley. I get to drive over yeah. Afton Mountain yeah. and yeah. I get to be on little windy road with leaves changing to get to Lovingston to get this wonderful setting for VDC as well. So I, I said it. The other week I, I think is I, I got to visit Loch Lee mm, mm-hmm. and I and I got to I got to visit as an Ayrshireman. and I got to say fuck yes this is in my home <laughs> county yes I love what they're doing I love the people I love what they're doing with the spirit I love what they're putting together I'm yeah. so so proud of of Loch Lee and, and that Ayrshire connection mm-hmm. sitting here in Virginia and an hour from my front door You know, I've I've got VDC, an hour and forty-five minutes away, I've got Catoctin Creek, right? I've I've got relationships with the people at those distilleries that are friendships. Yeah. Right. And and just like we we were talking about on the on the keeper episode, there's there's so much importance and so much value to the personal relationships across Mm. this industry Mm -hmm. separate from the business relationships. Do we buy casks from C C D C Catoctin Greek? Yes we do. Do we buy casks from VDC? Yeah. Yes we do. Yeah. Do we buy casks because we love the people who are at those distilleries? Yes yep. we do. <laughs> and yep. so yeah. uh, right. And so I, I love that aspect of it. And even you know on my drive I was listening to the last episode, you know, you know, revisiting that interview you had with Ollie mm. and just listening to you two guys talking like dear friends on the industry podcast um and then knowing that i got to sit with ollie and and dram last weekend as well it's i think it comes back to your earlier point is this is why we're craving the in-person this is why we're going ahead with solo interviews Mm -hmm. because there's a warmth and a presence to even just one of us one of the three of us yeah being with somebody that they like and enjoy and value. It's pretty rocking.
0: Being in that car with Ollie and interviewing him, I'm gonna make a. I'm gonna make a very incomplete list here, Jason. A very <laughs> here incomplete comes, list. Here comes. Here comes. But right but with with COVID, there there is a number of people on that side of the pond I've missed yeah. so dearly and continue yeah. to miss because I've seen so few of them, right? We we got to see Jess and Sweet Scott again. That was fantastic. Mm-hmm, ha- mm-hmm. Getting to see Ollie again, that it was really needed. I miss David Stirk. Haven't seen David Stirk in two and a half years. I miss Mark Watt, right? I miss Kate Watt. Like,
1: <laughs> I'm just enjoying the incomplete list. <laughs> I know. I, and,
0: and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave it in. I'm going to make it even more complete, more incomplete than usual.
1: Uh, Ian Allen just had his heart broken. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and most importantly, Ian Allen getting to see Ian again, <laughs>
1: and Ronnie Rutledge, <laughs> you have and set Stuart Nickerson. Up any you have set it up? Oh, Stuart Nickerson, but not Jen Nickerson. Oh, wow! That's... I'm not
0: done. I wasn't done.
1: Oh, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but but
0: you you know you you say you know hearing Ollie and I talk. As if we're dear friends, and I and yes. I think the answer is, you know, I I consider him a dear friend. He's someone that I I really do cherish, and and there's so many around that I cherish, be it on this side or that side of the pond. And getting out there and starting to see them again, lists aside, has been really nice. So so being in person, yes, this is what we've been craving, and if that means on occasion we have to interview solo, right? That's 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 perfectly fine, perfectly fine. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, and and you're the Mister Man who always likes saying mixing up in the bedroom keeps it fresh. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, our listeners get to hear a solo interview conducted by me, a solo interview conducted by Jess. You know, it's it, it mixes it up a little bit. You know, it gives different sounds, gives different angles. So, yeah, I'm I'm perfectly okay with it, and nobody has written in to complain about this free content um not meeting their needs. So <laughs> just,
0: just wait till they have to start paying for it. Oof. Oof. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jason. I, I I think we've babbled on. That was lovely. As,
1: that as, was a lovely yeah. little chat about the process. It's one of mm-hmm. our it's one of our recorded production meetings. That it was. Let's let's I hand
0: like, it over. I want I want to hear you, Amanda and Brian kibitz about some booze
1: <laughs> we didn't kibitz you didn't kibitz? no you didn't talk? oh I thought kibitz had a bit more of a no you're thinking
0: kvetch kvetch uh, is like a complain a kibitz is just like a, you're having uh, a, a little chitty chat you well I'm
1: certainly pleased to say we did break bread literally did you fix it? Oy yeah oy. Amanda, it's lovely to see you again. You too. Thank you for always having your door open for me to, to come down here and taste casks with you, today eat lunch with you. Uh, this has been really special, so thank you so much for having me.
2: I think you've become my favorite neighbor.
1: <laughs> now that is on wax, and I have that. <laughs> um, so So earlier today, we were through in the the cask house, as you like to say, yes. and Brian likes to say. And it was it was you, me and, and Brian Hersey. And Brian's gonna jump into this conversation in a little bit of time. He is <laughs> Poor bugger is outworking. He's
2: out playing with barrels right now.
1: (laughs) You and I are dramming. We're eating salted caramel chocolates. And he's outworking.
2: Doesn't seem fair, does it? It
1: does not. And yet I'd rather have my position than his position. That's true. We will make him very welcome once he comes in the door. But the three of us were up in the cask house. And I was last here in August, and I I relayed that to our listeners uh, in a previous episode of the podcast, and I relayed to them what you and Brian were talking about on-site in August, that it's a terrible time to taste. Uh, And I could recap that right here, but I've got the privilege of your company. Can you recap for our listeners why August is a terrible time to taste? please.
2: Sure. Well, we we taste whiskey every month of the year, usually every week. And the one word that comes to mind for end of July, August is aggressive. And I think part of that is just how volatile uh, the humidity, the hot weather days, everything kind of comes together to make it feel like sometimes when we're pulling samples from the cask, it's almost carbonated in this effect of Mm -hmm. the alcohol just rising up in the air around us. And um, there are just areas of, especially cask house number one for us, that have more pressure fronts even inside certain areas. And Mm. we found that the casks are more settled and the whiskey inside them is much more settled as the weather gets cooler in late September, early October, or in the spring.
1: So in terms of us talking about casks essentially operating as sponges. And those staves become the semi-permeable membrane. In August, is there too much alcohol outside the cask? Or there's too much alcohol trapped in the staves of the cask? Where has that alcohol gone? And and, and what's, what's causing that problem of that kind of tightness?
2: For us right now I would say it would be more outside the cask Mm. and part of that I think is enhanced by the humidity levels in our area of Virginia. It's some of those weird effects of everybody expects the alcohol to be evaporating from the casks, Mm -hmm. not necessarily for water vapor from humidity pockets to be pulled in and then maybe back out. And so all of that I think combined has really made for a volatile or aggressive environment at some, some windows for us as we're watching the whiskey age.
1: It's so wild because if you walk in with the naked eye, it looks the same in (laughs) March as it does in August, as it does in November. And yet there are very different things happening in the atmosphere of that warehouse.
2: Yeah, we're tempted. I mean, a lot of people will climate control, Their warehouses. And for us, with our cask houses, we're just letting it naturally interact with the environment. They're metal clad. And so with the sun beating down on one side and more shade in the other, we have microclimates inside the cask house.
1: <laughs> so we talked last time about not quite, I think losing your mind was my words, um, but we talked last time about you having meters for reading temperature and humidity throughout your cask house and so as you're talking about these pockets is there rhyme or reason to the
2: pockets yes we have been able to track things like thermal banding and so we can see Ah. actual layering of temperature variations inside the casks or inside the areas where the casks are palletized and we've physically been able to feel it. Brian and I were standing having a conversation, and I said, oh, do you feel that? And he said, yes, (laughs) we can actually feel this current of air flowing through to this side of where the casks are aging that if you took three steps, totally different. And so if you start to notice that, you can look at things like, oh, do you see these casks right here? They've got a little bit of warpage after three or four years. And it's like all these little clues have been hidden around. But having these sensors, we're able to pull it all together in a very numerical fashion and see, Okay, yes, we do have more heat here. We have these striations and temperature variation.
1: Are you moving casks around to take advantage of that or where where they get set is where they stay?
2: Where they sit is where they stay unless we decide to do a little bit of reorganizing (laughs) and maybe move something from cask house one to cask house two. But for I'd say 98 percent of our whiskey casks, they don't move.
1: You're not saying, oh, if it just had a little bit more of this quality and I know that we get it in that band over there, that's a bridge too far.
2: It's a bridge too far. I mean, it's tempting to play around <laughs> like that, but we have enough work just <laughs> pulling samples from casks as they are. But over time, we're starting to think, I can't wait to put whiskey back in this area and watch how ah, it comes in another five, ten years. It's
1: those types of numbers, right? Five years, yes. ten years. They just roll off the tongue. They're very, very real numbers.
2: They are. It's weird because I have to think in the future all the time and plan for 10, 15 years out and yet I'm also at the same time working on something that will be bottled in three months. Right,
1: right. I asked this question of of John Campbell earlier this year and he gave a a typically uh, Isla response. I'm curious to hear yours is when I asked him do you get frustrated, right? Do you get impatient? Maybe that's a better word. Do you get impatient about the results and and he just kind of looked at me and it was over zoom he just kind of looked at me and said no (laughs) and and so and so the same question to you Do, do you get impatient for those five years to pass 10 years to pass
2: that's funny you would think i would say yes And there's a part of me that wants to say yes. I do get impatient once I've ordered really great casks, and I know Mm. like they're in route. They're they're gonna be sailing across the Atlantic right now. I get very antsy for them to come, and I want them to be here, and I want them filled. Once they're filled, I I think I feel very protective, Mm -hmm. and I don't wanna rush the whiskey. So yes, I am eager to see how it comes along, but at the same time, I I don't want to make it feel rushed. And that's a very strangely emotional thought for me to have right now that I want to preserve and protect the whiskey. So yes, I am eager and it would be really fun to just jump ahead and see this is, it's going to be beautiful. And I know it here is the proof. Um, but there's a part of me that's just like, no, I'm waiting and I'm being patient along with the whiskey. I didn't expect to give you that answer, but that's the honest truth. (laughs)
1: I can see you right now taking a sideways look at yourself. Like, where did that answer come from? Right. <laughs> well, you're welcome. Just get comfortable on the couch. Uh, we will, <laughs> we will unpack other issues as we go along. Um, so you're you're talking there about casks coming in, and by that you're talking empty casks that you'll get to fill with Virginia Distillery Company spirit. And, and one of the things I'd said to you in the cask house earlier was, once we've got microphones, I would like to go back over individual casks and, and individual maturation. I know it's something for our listeners where if you go to a tasting, people will talk to you about the bourbon cask maturation, the sherry cask maturation happening in front of you. But like you're saying a moment ago, you're seeing this on a daily basis. You're often tasting this weekly, not necessarily dipping back into the same cask, but within a range of casks, you're following them weekly, certainly monthly, and certainly seasonally. So what range of casks do you have on here? A number that I'm still stuck by, struck by, is 25% of your casks on site are STR. That's correct. That remains true. That remains true. There you go. So so what are you looking for from each individual cask type for VDC spirit maturation?
2: So I always start off with the first fill bourbon casks because roughly 50% of the whiskey aging in our cask houses is in brown foreman or other one state over Kentucky bourbon <laughs> distilleries. And so those are really foundational. I view them as contributing time for the whiskey to mature in a safe, solid environment. These are the most consistent casks of all the ones mm-hmm. we get. We, we get them very freshly dumped, usually just a few days. And from there, I know they're gonna pull out vanillins. They're gonna bring out, we talked about coconut earlier mm-hmm. from, from those casks, uh, a little bit of citrus oil, Sometimes I get cedar or cypress even. there, They're going to be some fun notes, um, cinnamon spice. But they're very, very consistent, very base note for the most part. And I love that because the, the tannins have been largely subdued Mm-hmm. by aging bourbon. Mm-hmm. And so all the notes that I really, really feel are shining through with our fermentation esters, they're going to get their chance to, to say hello in our bourbon cascage whiskey. Okay. So, um, we talked a lot about, um, banana today, uh-huh. isoamyl acetate. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so that's one that really, I, I walked through our fermentation tanks and I get banana nut bread and apricot. Those are the top notes I usually get. And so for the bourbon casks, they're not going to dominate all those beautiful green apple, green pear notes. All of those are going to still shine through. And so that's, that's foundational. The cuvee casks or STR casks Uh we talked about, (laughs) those become more of our, let's drive up the flavor and intensity. Let's show off what we can, contrast with our distillate. Mm. And so I always feel like the chocolatey, nutty, rich red fruit, maybe orange, like blood orange, Mm -hmm. all of that walnutiness, that's going to pair really beautifully with our fermentation nesters. And so having our new make slowly soften, richen, go into depth with these casks I I know it's crazy to have 25% (laughs) (laughs) Cuvé casks. And I mean, big thanks to Jim Swan because he got us the relationships in Portugal and Spain and now some of those guys who started in Portugal are in France and so, yeah. And so we're getting the same quality but showcasing different wine styles in these casks. So that's been really fun because more to play with.
1: So just a, a very quick sidebar is at lunch we were having a conversation with Dustin distillery manager
2: yes Dustin Castor
1: Dustin Castor Um, we are having a conversation with Dustin and you and Brian and, and myself and we were asking that must STR be Portuguese wine casks and in listening to your answer here there's Portugal there's Spain and now those people some of those people heading over into France so (laughs) <laughs> not leading the witness in the slide. I know your answer. Do you, for you is STR Portuguese wine cask in nature?
2: I would say no. There I, you go. <laughs> and I, I did spend enough time with Jim Swan. I feel pretty confident he oh, would good. also say oh, good. no, um, because he worked very closely with Marco Matino, who was at uh, J Diaz and, um, Marco is now my main source of wine casks Mm. from France. Mm -hmm. And so he has all the ties still in Portugal. He still will tell me stories all the time. Jim told me this. Remember we talked about that? And I'll be like, yes, oh yeah. Mm -hmm. And so he, he definitely... Collaborated with Jim, so if you don't mm-hmm. have that direct source, I don't know what else you can say. <laughs> um, but the quality of it, the the concept behind the shaving and toasting, and and really making sure that the quality is there. And mm-hmm. where Marco has been really fun to work with is we we did a lot of heavy toast and called that a level zero char and he has said you know well i really think jim would have said level two for these and i'll be like all right let's try it so (laughs) we'll get some that are level one char and some that are level two so i feel like that's still really a key component like jim almost feels like he's with us because of marco and that relationship and hey most of those casks now are from france so it'll be years before i have a big str release from french wine casks but that's fascinating
1: that, that it's moved like that and, and, and not to speak out of school but in Scotland the other week I encountered STR bourbon casks uh, and that was that was a bit of a surprise in
2: 2016 I believe or maybe late 2015 Jim went to a couple uh Cooperage is right here in the U.S. and he talked to them about it. and He was like, "I know you do Dchari Char. Maybe you know this is a, a variation that you could talk about, you know, down the road with your company." So that was in his head.
1: <laughs> this is fantastic. That for listeners, that is a real inside scoop. That is a not something we discussed earlier. That's not something that's even generally known or accepted or, yeah. or discussed. Be quick, quickly, before we get off of the sidebar, do you want to weigh in, just even just quickly, on the difference between DCR char and STR?
2: Yes. So the one thing, and you'll note with our Courage and Conviction Cuvée cask, we don't call it STR.
1: Yes. And I do and apologize for oh, sitting here calling it STR continually. I do it too.
2: And okay. that's kind of the industry thought. Um, but the real the real thing to talk about is wine casts are traditionally toasted, not charred. Mm-hmm. And so for me, when we're saying STR, does that stand for shaved toast, rechar, shaved toast, repair, recuper was originally one of the thoughts. Ah. And Jim was working with Cabillon in Taiwan and they originally were disassembling the staves of the wine casks, shaving three to five millimeters, toasting, and then recupering. We don't do that now. They mm. don't do it in, in Kavalan. They have a machine that goes in and scrapes. There's no reassembly.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And again, there's no recharring. It's charring for the first time.
1: Ah, uh, So yes. I
2: feel very strongly that dechar, rechar, that makes sense with bourbon casks. And there is a true scraping off the char. But for wine casks, especially if we're talking Portugal, Spain, or France. Awesome. Yeah, they were not charred to begin with.
1: That's a great answer. Thank you. (laughs) Now you look proud as punch.
2: (laughs) You can (laughs) tell I'm passionate about it. (laughs) No, you're our... Because Jim's not here to explain it for us, so... You're
1: our (laughs) kind of people. There's no doubt about that. So, so, okay, so that's my sidebar. Thank you. So we've got bourbon, allowing a lot of your fermentation and spirit esters to come through, not get in the way. We've got cuvee, STR ramping up the flavor profile, sherry. And then we can break down the sherry category.
2: Yeah. So I'm going to bring in Jim Swanigan. I hadn't planned to, but he was the one who said, you know, everybody uses Oloroso and PX, but don't be afraid to experiment. I would say start with Fino and maybe go into some others as well. And I thought that's cool Mm. and different. And what really set us apart is we were doing primary maturation in these sherry casks. It wasn't age three to five years in first fill bourbon and then move them into the sherry casks. It was no, put them in and let them mature up. So because of that, we started to pull samples three or four years in and the Oloroso is beautiful, nutty, just uh, candied hazelnut I talked about earlier, a little bit of funk sometimes, just really characterful. And the PX was just gorgeous. Mm. Decadent, dried fruit, leather, cocoa, you name it. Um, But the Fino, I was like, this is nice, it's light, (laughs) honeyed. Um, I had a couple that were showing candied pineapple and I thought that was cool. And I thought, all right, well, it's got a little contribution, whatever. After about three and a half, four years, though, some of them started to really come alive. And now they're some of my favorite casks. And we call them the Honey Nut Cheerio casks. (laughs) They are richer, more nutty, the bounce with a bright tropical fruit is actually this gorgeous cord that belongs. Mm. And I think mm. that that really contributes a lot of the complexity to our sherry cask. Sherry can be very dominating and aggressive and I love a good decadent <laughs> sherry cask. Don't make, get me wrong, but, but, but having the We're back the fino, to cask 666 again, oh, SCN oh 666. All that coffee. Oh boy. And, yeah.
1: That was a winner. <laughs> Raisin.
2: Oh, it's fabulous. <laughs> but having the pheno, it's one more ingredient to play with. And so for us with our sherry profile, we get complexity, we get a range, and I think that the Fino is kind of our secret sauce there mm. with the with the sherry casks. And you mentioned the Spanish oak. That was another surprise. <laughs> we at first did not know what we were gonna do with them. They were incredibly tannic. Um, uh, they're made from corcus robur so gnarled trees growing from the, the roots all the way up the trunk, just very difficult. You need to be a very talented cooper to, mm-hmm. to make staves from that. And uh, after about five years, just gorgeous. And thankfully, that I think the DNA from our distillate still gets to shine through, and it does strike a beautiful balance.
1: Well, it, and that's certainly been one of our conversations today, and it's been one of our conversations every time. And something Joshua and I talk about continually with the nation is, where is the spirit profile? Where is the distillery DNA in any given cask sample? And, and so for you, with the Oloroso experience and the PX experience, do you have moments where you are searching for the, the VDC DNA? Or is there enough presence from these, these esters? To, to fight through the slightly heavier Oloroso and the more heavier PX.
2: I would say almost always we know exactly it's ours and that that DNA shines through. But there have been a handful of exceptions where I've gotten to a cask and thought, wow, this is surprising. And (laughs) I didn't expect to see (laughs) these notes coming in and they are dominating over right now. So Mm. sometimes I treat it as a a waiting game. Let's give it a long enough time. Let's see how things mellow out and what shines through. Or let's find the right home where I can strike that balance again in the blend, if not in the individual cask.
1: (laughs) So given that you put out both your line, uh, your courage and conviction, and occasional single casks, we, obviously Single cask Nation, have that single cask mindset. And I find even as I sit here talking to you, I'm thinking about the individual single casks that we've experienced in in the cask house. Do you get to wear two hats as you're going through? Do you get to think that is singing, alone, that will get a solo, that is a single cask, and then others are, that's VDC representative, and that will do well in Courage and Conviction?
2: Absolutely, usually I find that the the honey barrels or the single casks that I wanna release do represent us very well and they are very well rounded. So they, they fire in a lot of cylinders and I think people are going to feel like they know not only the distillate, but they know our environments and they can imagine our distillery and what we're doing. And I'm, I'm always thinking food. <laughs> <laughs> and so they're going to have an experience with this whiskey, whether it's ce- celebrating with friends or having this great meal, something like that. I want them to be able to translate the whiskey through yes. with their life. Yes. And, uh, For the more surprising casks, I usually think, is this going to hit a really unique note in a blend? Is this going to Mm -hmm. bring a level of interest and excitement that wouldn't be there? Is this going to be the complexity that I'm searching for? And usually it is, but occasionally there'll be just a crazy one. And I do like to have team barrels. So if you look down there, you see barrel heads. uh, Every year, the the whole team signs a barrel head. And I get to pick a barrel every year (laughs) 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 that is the teams. And so everybody gets to just just celebrate with because they they bottle here or they'll fill the casks that everybody puts a lot of time in and so what a great way to celebrate with something really unique and special
1: Uh and so so what have you pulled for not not to go through the line but are those weird and wonderful are those this is vdc to the power of 100 what are you looking for as you're making that internal selection
2: Yeah, last year I did a cuvee single cask. I think it was number 1266. And there were a handful of extra bottles. And the brand team took them and entered them into uh, the Ultimate Spirits Challenge. And we got 98 points from that. So I guess it was just a really good cask. And that's usually what I'm thinking. But sometimes Never released to the
1: public. You do business like we do business. (laughs) It's true.
2: But there have been just as good that have been out there for the public. So it just so happens they had the extra... Extra bottles and that's what they did with it um
1: congratulations on 98 points that's thanks. that's a good number however you cut it
2: well it's funny because our, our sales director john alvarez was like well i want to get my hands on one of those bottles and i said you got it for christmas <laughs> i gave you one he was like but that was before we won i was like i know
1: isn't it amazing how people enjoy whiskeys more when they have a 98 point score attached to them
2: i guess some do <laughs> it's so
1: wild um all right, so so those are the weird and wonderful. That's your opportunities to go down the the single cask route, and then you talked a little bit about building the blend, and I would like to come back to that a, a little bit more in a minute. But I don't I don't want to break up your flow too much on the cask maturation, of the individual barrels. So we go through fino, oloroso, PX, and then the Spanish oak, the the Quercus robur that was killer, absolute killer. Um, do you have other casks on, on site that you're happy to talk about, happy to describe to
2: us? Yeah, well sticking with Sherry for a second, oh. I do have a few Amontillado tucked ah. away <laughs> uh, a few new Chardot casks, we want to experiment and we want to see you know, what makes sense and what works um, right now I'm working on some unique wine casks as well um, we've got a few Marsala a few Madeira I've played around with rum casks so mm-hmm. usually these are smaller releases we'll do like a charity single barrel release one of my favorites has been coffee oh. so uh i gosh it was 2016 we did a single barrel uh, coffee finish we gave one of our whiskey barrels to traeger brothers a local coffee roastery and we got it back when they were done using it for a cold brew and we donated all the proceeds to nelson county first responders and so every year this was our charity cask almost home the local sbca local food bank um nelson county community funds just different charity uh options that are near and dear to our hearts uh-huh. and so now we've started to expand and think how can we do a bigger grant or something fun like that and the roasty coffee notes wow. with the vanillins and the, oh, it's phenomenal. So oh. I'm excited about our next release there. <laughs> and I did experiment. I gave Traeger Brothers five casks and one of them was a cuvee and one of them was a sherry that we just very recently dumped. Uh. I think it was like three hours. <laughs> so oh, wow. Incredibly fresh. Oh, gosh. And uh, we got those back and so far they're, they're just stunning. So wow. pretty cool.
1: And you've been putting new make into those, or using them for finishing? Finishing, finishing. the
2: coffee is finishing, so we put five year FB one aged or first fill bourbon aged. Indeed, distillate.
1: indeed. So, so one that you haven't mentioned, and I don't know if that's because it's squarely under your hat or not, but it's always intrigued me because of the Glen Murray connection. And and, and from my first moment stepping foot here and experiencing all of this, I've I've always talked Glenn Murray when I've been here. And Glenn Murray, a few years ago, put out a cider cask. And, and it was a little bit out of the ordinary. And I think the, if I could be wrong in saying this, but I think the SWA actually, right after their release, closed the door on cider cask matured or finished scotch. What has been your experience, assuming you're happy to talk about it, yes. Um, what has been your experience with those cider casks and your spirit, and what did you expect to happen, and what has happened? Because cider just seems like a weird thing to me. But in August, you convinced me <laughs> that. So you speak, weird you, you say wonderful. good things about cider.
2: <laughs> well, it's funny because where we are right here in Lovingston, Virginia, used to be apple orchards, mm. and there are orchards all around still. So there are a couple of wild apple trees on our property still. Mm. and. We started giving away our used casks to local cideries. There's Potter's Cider in Charlottesville. There's Busky Cider in Richmond. I also like Calvados, so I'm not going to lie. And and I will tell you that I brought over some Calvados from France, Um, (laughs) because old world and new, right? (laughs) Take inspiration from both. Oh, but our very first cider casks were actually um, from distillery license number one, Laird's. Ah. So they did apple brandy. Oh, okay. And the idea was, well, let's take our already aged whiskey, move it in and just see what happens. And it's the most fascinating thing. Um, on the nose, I get a lot of green apple, green pear, honeysuckle, some toasted pecan. Mm. But on the palate, it's baked apple and cinnamon. And we did a very small release in 2016, a bigger one in 2017, 18. Actually, it was 2017. 2018, Whiskey Advocate ranked it in their top 20 whiskeys of the year. It was lucky ah, number 13. yes. And um, if I was going to pair it with food, I, I know the thought would be like apple pie and cheddar or something, but baked brie <laughs> and puff pastry with uh-huh. honey drizzled on top and some Granny Smith apples and candied nuts just... It's so good. (laughs) So yeah, the cider is really fun. And I just finished all the cask picks for that in September. And we will be bottling our next round of VHW cider cask in about three weeks.
1: Wow. Yeah. Do you find dry cider works better than sweet cider? 100% for us. Okay. Does the sweet kind of muddy some of the flavors or does it fight against the whiskey in any kind of way?
2: Yeah, I think for what we're going for, the drier style is going to just enhance more than war with. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Keep keep it keep it crisp, tight, mm-hmm. I, I really and
2: embrace the nuttier, spiced notes.
1: And that's what you said to me in August was think about apple pie and think about baking spices. And I think for me, and obviously for growing up in Scotland, cider was the twelve and then fourteen percent stuff that you drank in the graveyard to get absolutely blutered and it was it was never really a connoisseur's pour right and so i I think i've carried that with me into the world of cider matured whiskey and clearly there's a side to cider now that is as artisanal as any craft brew or craft distillery
2: in my head, I gravitate more towards the apple brandies like the Calvados. Yeah, yeah. So I think I, I'm looking for the ciders that match that caliber.
1: Yeah, that, that makes good sense. Um, I want to pivot back to uh, a second ago. You started talking about some red wine yes. casks. And Joshua and I are, are equally having a little bit of an existential crisis right now because traditionally we have not enjoyed red wine matured whiskies. And there have been a few occasions recently where red wine whiskies are kind of working for us.
2: I know. <laughs> and
1: we're not sure whether we should lean into that or fight back against that. And so I'm, I'm curious to hear your experience. Uh, and what are, you, what are you noticing with your spirit uh, in the cask house?
2: Yeah, I think I have to take it on a case by case situation that I could never lump it all in as great or <laughs> so wonderfully <terrible>. carefully
1: said. <laughs> I applaud I'm trying you for to be that.
2: Honest. <laughs> yeah. I I'm very picky. Um, when it comes to the red wines, I know there can be surprises and I have a lot of room to learn, so I'm never going to say never for some types, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I will be cautious and start small, do the smaller prototypes and make sure it works. And I, I think it comes down to the quality of the casks and the type of wine, the The right varietals can be beautiful oh. and really complement the barley. And there's a weird thought about finding the, the wine that grows at the same sort of area mm, or a contrast yeah. with the barley and i i'm not that geeky right now but i am having those thoughts and i have dabbled a little bit just kind of watching as i mean what's happening in england now they're able to to do wines that they've never been able to do before mm-hmm. and same for france i mean they're just pivoting in some ways so i'm watching and i'm curious um and i don't want to put all my eggs in any one basket sure, but there sure. are some styles that i really like and For me right now, the Bordeaux blends have been really beautiful to work with. And so I am enjoying the ones that I've gotten there.
1: Why? Why do you think the Bordeaux is doing it?
2: I think, well, again, going to Marco Mutino, who worked with Jim Swan and started (laughs) in Portugal and is now in (laughs) France, he came over and visited us. And I was able to say, this is what I like. This is what I don't like. Um, we can even go, my first experience really with playing with wine casks and our whiskey was port. So fortified wine, you have your tawny and your ruby. And I mean, we can go into more, but, but the tawny I think of is older, nuttier, a little more complex than the ruby, get all the the fruity. It's a little younger and Mm -hmm. more youthful. And I always find that there's a good ratio where it's not a bad thing to go a little young and get a little bit of that red fruit in there, Mm -hmm. but you don't want to just go, one-dimensional mm-hmm. so how can you get all the layers and I think Bordeaux really answers that question mm-hmm. the really good grand crews that we've worked with have so much depth that even as the whiskey's working its way into the staves I think that's being answered and I think there are the layers coming through in those casks and it's mm-hmm. not cloying it's not one note it's not there to just mask it's there to play the game and hit all the notes and that's my answer
1: not that I'm asking you to speak for anyone else's business, but just, just industry-wide and, and things you've tasted along the way, do you think if there were mistakes with red wine, it was trying to put square pegs in round holes? You're, you're talking about having a conversation with Marco here where you're getting to the bottom of, what do you like? What flavors are you looking for? I'm sure there's an aspect of, here's what's happening in the new make. Here's what's in the fermentation. Here's what we would be looking to draw out in key casks. Do you think it was maybe just a broad brush that said, oh, it's red wine? like? Just, just like we've done a broad brush for decades with sherry. It's all sherry. Well, that's we know that's not true. Do you think we've, we've potentially made that mistake in the industry with red wine?
2: I do think there have been instances of that mistake. And I think also sometimes red wine has been used as the answer to cover up things. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem, too, because give the consumer the whiskey lover credit if they're going to sit down and enjoy something, they're going to smell deeper than the red wine and they're going to know if the distillate isn't right, if the maturation isn't right, if the quality of the red wine casks are not right. So I do think that that is is a struggle that people who don't like red wine influence (laughs) on whiskey. They probably had some really bad experiences and they were justified to take a little bit of umbrage with it.
1: No, I I think that's a nicely nuanced point. And I I think we can be guilty, sometimes it's for the best and sometimes we can be guilty of it, where you you judge simply what's in the bottle. And you say, oh, that's a poor whiskey or that's a good whiskey. A poor whiskey, you just say, oh, something's wrong there. Where did it go wrong? How Mm. did it go wrong? And I, (laughs) I'm trying to make a uh, I'm trying to avoid making a Joshua Hatton-style declarative statement here. So I will say, I don't think I have visited a distillery where I've tasted new make that was bad. <laughs> yeah, I see the way you're kind of pondering in the back of your head as well. Have I been anywhere? <laughs> and, and, and so for the, for the most part, I think distillers are distilling good new make. Some is exceptional, some is great, some is good, but I haven't encountered bad. To then get a poor whiskey out of, say, a red wine cask seems to speak to the cask, the the choice of maturation, rather than that was poor spirit that went in. And and so I, I think there's something to what you're saying here about unpacking it and being cognizant of what was happening there and where it went wrong.
2: Yes. And often it could be that it was just maybe a shorter maturation time and then a quick finish to try to accelerate or make it seem older than it was. Or,
1: or potentially what you were saying earlier about pheno, which is with too little time, it doesn't get the job done, you really need to dedicate the time to allow Fino to come around. Absolutely. Um, do, do you think that could be true of, of red wine? Do you think more red wine could be better than less red wine?
2: Yes, and it could be that maybe there was a lot of red wine left in those casks mm. or not enough, or maybe they were let to dry out, <laughs> and maybe there was a bacterial issue. There are so many things. If you're not looking at that cask with a good eye and knowing it, it's going to contribute these things, I mean, it could it could bring more trouble than it's worth if mm-hmm. you get the wrong style or, mm-hmm. you know, wrong quality or condition.
1: Speaking of port yes. maturation, port finishings. Have almost never worked for me, and it's only been the Glenmurray Port that made me take a second look at that category. You mentioned a moment ago, Port is a a foundational component in VDC. Is it fair to say that
2: for our VHW whiskey? Yes, we had the signature right there. That's the VHW Port cask.
1: So. How do you, I know how Glen Murray get port to work. How do you get port to work and what do you find it doing with your spirit?
2: For me, it's all about striking balance. And so I like to play up the phenols a little bit. I like yeah. a little bit of smokiness to counteract oh. the the sweet richness of the port. And so I, I like to look at our VHW port cask as the answer to both the bourbon lover and the scotch lover. It's like, well, mm you can't make everybody happy. And I like to showcase that our distillate can make really different styles of, of whiskey for people to drink. And so the, the VHW one is just one example of that. And again, I like playing around with Trutani ports and a handful of Ruby just because why not bring a bright, sometimes I get strawberry or lavender or lilac notes. And I just think, well, this is really fun. So let's let's layer it in there and let people have an adventure. Instead mm-hmm. of just this one note, very heavy port dominated whiskey.
1: Well, and the thing for me is the port has always sat separately from the whiskey. And so is, is there something that can be done to bring about full integration? Um, is, it, is it getting in wet casks? Is it giving it a set amount of time? How, how have you made that side of things work?
2: Yeah, I mean, there are lots of different approaches you could take. It could be maybe don't use 100% port aged mm. or port finished. Mm-hmm. You could do a percentage and see how that works and tweak it from there. I do think having fresh casks is going to be helpful <laughs> for a lot of reasons. <laughs> and and then, yeah, if you want to bring in something else and make it more interesting... You could throw in a peated cask. Why not Mm -hmm. bring in some smoke? Or if you want to, you know, play around with a different style entirely, it doesn't need to always dominate with one heavy note. And I think more is not always more.
1: (laughs) You understand you're saying that sitting in America, right? Where the most IPA, the most stout, the most imperial stout, the most bourbon barrel stout. It's,
2: it's true. We're going a little bit against the grain there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, 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 we're, so we're in the in the cask house. And we're tasting in October, not in August, and and it was it was immediately different Nosies were different they were they were already unpacked and it was cold today i think it was 49 fahrenheit when we were in the in the cask house and so it was cold and we were cupping some of our whiskies but there was there was an obvious difference there do you, could you speak to us a little more about that that seasonality and where you then find if if august is considered the tightest month and and one to battle against. How do the rest of the months within their season take shape for you with maturation?
2: I think we start getting excited the first or second week of September. And it's <laughs> really truly dynamic because we'll have mornings where it's 39, 40 degrees when I wake up and then it's going to be 75, 80 in the afternoon. So We'll start out in the cask house maybe 7.30, 8 a.m., sometimes earlier, and we'll have this whole experience. The whiskey will be showing one way, and we'll usually pick one or two casks and say, try after lunch. Yeah, we'll do that. (laughs) And then we'll go back at 2 p.m., same cask, and it will show so differently. Mm -hmm, And it just mm -hmm. shows, like, we do have the big door open. Mm There is airflow happening, and there's just that much transformation. So what I've learned throughout the year is, Get to know the whiskey in the cask, but then bring it down, bring that cask down and let it get a little more stable down in our vatting house. Check it through, make sure it's ready for bottling at the right time when it has settled. Uh-huh. And so September, October, there is this sort of now is the time, it's really great, but because it is getting colder. I will find that that whiskey is going to keep opening up for a long time because it will be a little tight. Yeah. And uh, the mouthfeel even we talked about today, it can uh-huh. it can definitely become creamier and richer as it warms up, which is so bizarre. Um, November is a roller coaster. Uh-huh. You can have, I mean, I was working the day before Thanksgiving and it was 76 and blue sky and it was great and then it was like snowy and cold the very next week so there can still be really great days for picking whiskey there Um, and I've been known to to make some great cast selections in December or January but January through March, I'd say, is just that period where you can go up there and the whiskey will show to an extent, Mm -hmm. but you better bring it down, Mm -hmm. maybe add a little bit of water and sit it at your desk for a while. And over three or four hours, it'll finally wake up (laughs) and say, yeah, here's what I'm like.
1: (laughs) I've been dormant for three months and now here I am.
2: And because of that, we try not to do any vatting of casks or dumping January through March, just... Just try to avoid it entirely. Oh, okay. And then once April comes okay. around, it's a little more settled again. And, and this is just for us here yeah, in yeah, yeah. central Virginia. It would be totally different if we were in Texas or Colorado or <laughs> Washington State.
1: Ain't that the truth? Yeah. Um, so when you say you're not dumping January through March, it's not necessarily a quiet period for the distillery but are, are you still bottling things that have been previously brought down? So, so to close out uh, a calendar year, you might pull for the next three months. Is that what we're talking here?
2: Yeah, so twice a year, I've created Barrel boot camp, And so Dustin <laughs> and Brian will join me, and we will go through and make all of our selections. And the idea is we have a window where we know now is the best time for us to be dumping our casks. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And so we have this window. It's all hands on deck. We'll get the whole team to help with the forklifts and bring down the casks. (laughs) And then we have time so we can do the reductions for anything we're bottling at say 92 or 94 proof. We have all this time and we call it landing the plane and I have months to do it. And so then I can do my blending, I can make my tweaks, I can add a little bit more, I have all the time I need. And that way things aren't rushed, so mm-hmm. everything is kind of calendared out to an extent. There are always exceptions, and I might need to go on a hunt for one more cask <laughs> or three more casks <laughs> at a weird time. That happens a lot. But, oh, okay. Uh, does it <laughs> but really? Yeah. Yes, it does. Okay. I'll think uh, this is really good, but I want to look for this, or I want a little more of this note. And interesting. And yeah, but we're bottling nonstop, so we we are never not bottling. There I'm you go. Sure. Yeah,
1: that <laughs> that note. Not emptying, not disgorging, sounded like it could create a quiet time for the uh, for the bottling crew, which I know oh, not to wish. be true. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Come inside, be near the stills, warm up. <laughs> um, well, just as an update, Brian remains out on on.
2: Uh, <laughs> yeah, he was on a barrel moving duty, but he yep. just walked by and waved. Um, He's got a sample for you, by the way. Oh, fantastic! So oh, I'm fantastic. telling him to come on up. Yeah,
1: yeah, come on up. If uh, we can ask him his experiences in the in the warehouse as well.
2: Yeah, his background is wine, so he has ah, a really oh. fun yeah. We'll circle <laughs> him
1: back to uh, to red wine usage in whiskey circles.
2: There we go. <laughs> <laughs> He'll like that. Um, so so
1: while we're while we're waiting, and and let's let's do a little sidebar again, and and then once Brian comes in, we'll come back to the uh, the cask house. But the last time you and I spoke on wax, we were talking about the potential for American single malt to become a category. Uh, When we've done episodes of Extra Extra, I've mentioned Amanda's name. When we've done episodes of One Nation Under Whiskey, I've mentioned Amanda's name. You and I have texted back and forth about various developments. The the commenting period has closed. I'm assuming Virginia Distillery Company got to weigh in in the in the commenting period.
2: We did. <laughs> good, good,
1: good. You're sitting <laughs> nodding at me, and um, and so where where do you think we're at right now? Uh, we also had Steve Hawley yes. uh, episode not too long ago as well. He was a fantastic. Uh, guest as well. Great guy to chat with. But wh- where do you think we're we're sitting here? How are you feeling about American single malt whiskey as a category?
2: It's been such a long battle. Um, we're along with Westland, founding mm-hmm. members mm-hmm. of the American Single Malt Commission. And yeah, I've been watching since 2015 thinking, all right, this could be a while, but this is the first time I'd say we're closer than we've ever been before. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There has not been a significant change in American whiskey law since the 60s. Wow. So this is a big moment. And I'm very excited because we want to protect the category. We want protect, to protect the producers. And mm-hmm. we want to protect consumers who mm-hmm. should know what it is that they're getting. And there were lots of questions, lots of interesting feedback. Um, I think... It'll probably be several more months before this is all completely hashed out. So I'm trying... This is where I'm trying to be patient. Yes, yes. (laughs) Because, I mean, bourbon is the great American comfort blanket. Mm -hmm. And rye was, you know, right along with it. Yes, Mm -hmm. so much history there. But we... We know so much about whiskey, and yet there's so much that people who think they know a lot don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> well said. And I'm shocked by how many times when people hear the words "single malt," they think Scotch and they think peated Scotch yes. or yes, yes, yeah. And so I'm really excited and hopeful that once this set of rules is out. There'll be more familiarity. We already have reporters and journalists reaching out and saying, hey, tell us more. So this is new, and this is exciting. And uh, once that knowledge is out there, I think people will be more familiar and confident. So I'm excited.
1: FAMILIAR and confident, I think, are two excellent words to throw around here, where, oh, what is it you're doing at that distillery in Virginia? What is it you're doing at those distilleries in Seattle? what is it you're doing in Texas? Like, I, I think having a common language, and of course, I've started an incomplete Joshua Hatton style list here. There's also Colorado, there's also California, there's also Ohio, there's also New York. There's Iowa. Right. <laughs> we can, Hawaii, I don't know if there's Hawaii.
2: I don't know about Hawaii yet. <laughs> I, but, uh... I just thought
1: of the rum that's being made in Hawaii, and that jumped into my yeah. head. Um, and so, no, I, I like the fact that you say that. Does that then become part of the the brand marketing i know you're no you're not in the marketing department but i know you speak with the the brand team is that part of that is that going to be championing this category yes yeah. come on in brian
2: brian is joining us he's going to come sit and, yeah. and say hey we have a
1: chair for you right here <laughs> no worries man no worries you've been working yeah yeah i mean, actual work
2: so I'm I've been asked the question about what our brand team is looking to do with the American single malt category and one thing that's really been exciting is we've been talking with accounts major liquor stores chains like Mm. Benny's or independent stores about carving out a space for American single malt and so our team has been working on creating different Materials that can be educational. I've been championing the idea of an American Single Malt Academy, ah, so wow. we'll have videos that are educational that people who work at a liquor store can watch and learn. And I won't just be talking about us; I'll be talking about Stranahan's right. and Cedar Ridge, and right. yeah, or you know, whatever is a useful tool. I think knowledge is got to be at the base of it. So
1: that, I've said it many times: you're our kind of people. That is absolutely spectacular. Um, okay. Brian, we're sharing a mic, and so you get to hold it so that listeners can hear the setup. It's one potato from... Your mouth to the mic and then speak straight into it. You don't have to treat it like a lounge singer. Um, and remember, we're just talking the three of us in this room, yep. having a lovely time. Don't think about the fifty thousand people listening right no, now. Uh, Try to cut that out of my mind. So, so one of the things Amanda and I were talking about here was obviously the cask house, mm-hmm. obviously maturation, obviously casks and cask types. And she dropped into conversation your background is wine.
3: Yes, that is correct.
1: And, and I was commenting that Joshua and I have a bit of an existential crisis, that we're starting to enjoy some red wine matured whiskies more than we ever have previously. Yes. And so I'm, I'm curious for you, what's, what's been your experience coming from wine into the distillery and the warehouse, and what do you think that can really bring to whisky?
3: Well, uh, the first product I was familiar with here was the port finish, Uh which I enjoyed from the get-go. And there's, you know, coming from wine, many similarities, also many differences. Uh Um, I think Virginia in particular, as they grow as a wine region and as, you know, or American single malt grows, um, we would love to continue partnerships with Virginia wineries and I think that uh, whiskey does show well I I I think a sweeter red or a port more so Um, it seems to the whiskey seems to finish better or Mm -hmm. age better Mm -hmm. Um, so I think it's going to kind of be a telltale you know over the next four years as we're looking to get some red wine barrels not just Virginia but all over the place um, to see how they how they do it's it's kind of an exciting time to be in the middle of that
1: we talked a little bit also about str Mm -hmm. and and these casks being charred for the first time right um what do you see there from from wine the delivery of the cask into that wine it's not an area i know very much about but it, it strikes me that you're dealing with Lower ABV, you're not pulling nearly as much from the wood. Exactly. There's still life left in that cask. Mm -hmm. Tons of life left in that cask when it then comes to a whiskey producer. What have you seen there from actual use of cask, even charring, toasting, what have you?
3: Um, I would say, you know, one of the biggest things, especially with the Virginia casks, we get those the day they're dumped or the Mm -hmm. day after as Mm -hmm. we want them to be as fresh as possible. Uh, and having those lees of the dead yeast that a lot of color, a lot of flavor comes from that. When Mm. we get some, you know, you know, Ruby ports from overseas, you know, they come dry. Mm -hmm. When you get them, you know, day after you're getting a ton of flavor, you're getting a ton of color straight out of those casks, and a lot of times, uh, you know, in our finishing uh, program, seeing them finish a lot quicker. Ah. Whereas with aging, we have, what, I believe, 10, 12 King families that are filled with new make, and they're only about three years old, so we're, again, sort of waiting right Uh. now to see how that goes. (laughs)
1: <laughs> so, so in so many conversations with Amanda, we talk about the blending being where her expertise in the cask houses is taking her. For for you, and, and the reason I love spending time with both of you, you both know both the warehouses inside out and back mm-hmm. to front. Right. What's what's your and I hope this isn't sounding like a rude question. I feel like I'm wearing my Joshua hat again. (laughs) He's classic for these types of questions. What's your end point in dealing with the cask house? Because you're not involved in the blending, although I'm sure you have expertise.
2: My, he's my favorite for any prototype I'm working on, any blend. I'll pick his brain for anything, and he has a fabulous palate. So right. I I think he's involved from start to finish.
3: Oh, there you go. Very there valuable. You go. Get those business cards updated. Yeah, that was the answer I was looking for. <laughs> um, no, I think ultimately, you know, being in the cask house, just overseeing everything, all the barrels, and constantly checking and just making sure what is coming out of those barrels to go into tank to get reduced is of the utmost highest quality. And, there, you know, you see it's it's always great because almost everything we see is of very good quality, Mm -hmm. some much better, Mm -hmm. some that lacks a little, Mm -hmm. and we can always find places to put it. But the fact that what we bring out of that cask house has consistently, you know, done very well, obviously shown very well in Bottle, um, and you know as far as competitions go, obviously shows very well. So I think ultimately just continuing that track of making sure quality is coming out of that cask house.
1: That, uh, um, it's one thing that I really love about your relationship, and, and why I really did want to speak to both of you in today's episode, is because if I was to draw an organizational chart of VDC, Amanda would be the blender. right? If we put a title on the masthead for this episode, Mm -hmm. Amanda is blender. Brian is cask house management. Mm -hmm. But in speaking with you both, in spending time with you both, in tasting with you both, you clearly work together. Because You know, as Amanda just attested to a second ago, on wax. (laughs) You know the spirit. You know the blend. You know how things are coming together. At the same time, Amanda knows what's in that warehouse. And Amanda... As you said, going in search of one of those casks. Right. I need this little component here, and I think it might be three high, two on the right against that wall. If memory serves me right, from three months ago.
3: Yes. Uh, right. You work so well together. Well, she she is. Um, I will praise her now. As I have I have learned <laughs> I have learned so much. I would not be here without uh, all the expertise she has given. Um, but it is true. Like I am up there. Working and putting in the hours and labor up there, but she is up there I'd say, you know Almost the same amount of time because that is an important factor too is getting up there To ensure your quality.
1: No, I, I love it. I, I really do. I, th- I think you're both very special people. So thank you Cheers. This isn't the end of the episode. I know it sounds like the end of the episode, but it's not quite we've got a I've got a couple more questions um, actually for Brian We've been talking about what's happening up in the warehouse and, and kind of how things build and how things develop. Has there been a moment when you've been surprised by something you've pulled out of, of the warehouse? Um, you know, if we're talking out of school, it could be good or bad, um, you know. Yeah, I would trick say, or treat, it's yes. nearly Halloween. <laughs>
3: um, I would say the, it again, like I said, for the most part, goodness coming Mm -hmm, out of there mm -hmm. but I I think my most of my worries up there are seasonal when it gets to summer when it gets very hot you see the leaks and Ah. that's something that always you know breaks my heart a little bit inside when you look down and it's it's on the back wall you know six rows back and you you go back there and if you can mend it you do Mm -hmm. but in a lot of Mm -hmm. cases if it's leaking from the bottom it's it's one of those situations that's um It's just a sad thing to see because, you know, you've got that juice that you know is good going on to the ground. Um,
1: Amanda has her hand on her heart right now. This is affecting uh, her deeply.
3: It is a a sad thing. But I I would say overall, you know, again, the quality of the juice is always consistent. We have seen, you know, some things that underperform. um, But when you have... The quantity of good yeah. stuff coming yeah. out of there—that's something that's very easy to, you know, blend out or just let it go and see how it is, you know, next year, two years, three years down the road.
1: Yeah, and I think that fits quite nicely with with what Amanda was saying earlier about time in, time out, and some things don't work right away, but maybe they they circle back in due course. I I have a question for you about palletizing. Yes, and 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 we you know we know. Hundreds of distillers are doing it, right? Mm-hmm. Ultimately, it's going to become an industry standard because we just don't have the space for dunnage. But you've got you've got the Spanish oak in dunnage. You've got sherry in dunnage. Mm-hmm. And then you've got these other range of casks that we've talked about today uh, in palletized form. Is I'm bringing a couple of things together here, which is you're talking about leakage, and we know the pressure applied to the, s- the foundational casks, they weren't built to take on that much weight above them. Right. And so, so I've got one question that's simply logistical, and, and, and do you find that causing more problems for you? And then the other part of the question is flavor. And do you think there's a difference uh, dealing with palletized?
3: No, I'd say the weight is my biggest concern, and you know, like I don't know if she mentioned, we're starting to palletize sherry's, as that will, ah, uh,
1: okay, that will, that
3: will give us plenty more room, and yeah. the sherry's, you know, mm-hmm. we have a very tall warehouse, and you know, we only stack three high in the dunnage style, um, which is just leaving a ton of headspace that mm-hmm. could be filled. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but again, we've just started that, and. We've seen some, but again, it's those summer months. It's when it's very hot uh, where you see the leakage. Um, so, again, it's going to be something we have to just keep our eye on. It's. Uh, I, I, I'm sorry I don't have a definitive answer for you.
1: Well, one of the things I ask as I go around distilleries as well is we're still putting bungs on the side. Bung holes are still going on the side of casks. Is there... Uh, a potential issue to, to bung holes...
3: Absolutely. ...going in heads. Yeah. The, the, in, in heads, I don't see a problem. I would say that one of the issues I've seen mostly with, you know, the regular where it usually is on the uh-huh. side, uh-huh. a lot of times that's where you're going to see some leakage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and we actually, our last uh, shipment from Brown Foreman of ex-Bourbon barrels we actually got a handful that did not have the side bung at all, ah. which in my mind, if we're going to continue to stack like that, yep. that may be something to look at in yep. the future, and that's one less you know, possibility of a leak. Did those casts then have the bunghole hole in the head? Yes, we have them, we typically they don't. We have them at Brown Foreman Drill, and we also have started having them uh, drilled um, overseas coming from Oh, interesting. JDS.
1: Interesting. Because it, it, it's funny, and, and I've only experienced it in America, the old sampling with a drill. Right. And so aside from the filling, you don't need the bunghole for the sampling. And so could we go to a point of filling a cask on its side with the head removed and then apply the head,
3: and put that into storage. That's interesting too. Yeah, I, I've never seen that. And again, coming from the wide world, uh-huh. seeing uh-huh. that warehouse and how we stack just was completely foreign to me. I freaked out at first. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think you know, having the the bung on top is easy because you can palletize it when it's empty, fill it, bung in. Four or five, six years later, it's ready to empty. You yep. bring it down. You take that bung out. You don't have to take it off the pallet. Mm. You put your your you know, wand in there. You pump it out. Gotcha. And it's the simplicity and the ease of it for those who have to dump barrels is mm-hmm. much better.
1: Interesting, interesting. And you, and neither of the two of you think it comes with a
3: compromise in flavor. I don't think so.
2: No, we were worried about that at first, but, you know, pulling samples and comparing, so far, so good.
1: Right, and, and that's, from my experience with producers in palletized forms, how do you work out a control? How do you know what that cask would have tasted like if it had been on its side in a dunnage style? So I, I, I just hope that good people like yourselves remain in charge of palletized programs and we do keep working on quality first, and not the logistics, not the storage space, but flavor first.
3: Absolutely. yeah, absolutely. I think um, it's again, I've said it before the the quality is the of the utmost importance. Um, so I think if as we go down the road, if you know we start looking at these ones that we have had pre-drilled. Um, if there is any sort of compromise quality, yeah, yeah. I think we would then definitely make a quick reconsideration.
1: But, but it seems like you've, you, that bung has to be the weakest part when it stands on its end.
3: But yes. I don't know much about physics, but. No, I, I would say so. And also, you know, the, the, all barrels are different. Sometimes, you know, it's the good, the bad, the ugly. Sometimes uh-huh, you sure. get some that, you know, as soon as you start filling, you're seeing leaks and you're having to repair immediately and those are the ones that you really worry about once they get up the hill. <laughs> can be trusted by themselves. No, not at all.
1: Um, so so we always get out of here. I know you've only just joined us, but power to you for doing the, the hard work here. Uh, we we, also, we always get out of here by asking what are you most excited about as, as we go forward here? And and I know from talking to you both, there's a lot of projects on the go at all times. And we've talked about the categorizing of American single malt. Is there is there is there anything else that you could possibly
3: no. be excited about? Well, those those are definitely the American <laughs> single malt category is definitely a huge for us and for you know all the other single malts in um, the U.S. Um, I would say just the continued quality. I would say you know some of our uh, visionary projects we're working on which will be you know a sort of higher end cast strength mm. um, some of the experimental barrels we've been working with that's uh something that I myself and I know Amanda as well are really interested to see how they how they do and you know just we're so into the bourbon the cuvee the sherry yeah and it's a great you know baseline but mm-hmm. to have these other like special mm-hmm. projects is really exciting
1: yeah I think it's smart to be known for something, you know, right? Right. You know, you, you got to put that flag in the ground and say, here's what we do. And then you can bounce off of that. Exactly. Then, then you can give loyal supporters fun treats along the way. So. Exactly. All right. So that's Brian. What about Amanda?
2: I mean, I completely agree with him <laughs> per usual. <laughs> uh, to be specific, some of the new products we're working on, I think next year we're going to Go ahead and roll out a couple. Okay. And so Double Cask Reserve is the first one I actually feel like I can mention now. <laughs> and uh, this one is going to be a slightly higher ABV than our signature line. Okay, And we're focusing on the bourbon and cuvee maturation, peeling out the sherry. And so a little bit older, just bringing these specific casks together. It's a little more limited, and I think it's going to be really delicious. Okay. Last Friday, I I let the team try their first sneak peek. Brian's been working on it with me. I've been giving him, like, what do you think of this ratio? What do you think of that for months and months? Um, But somebody said, this is like having your milk and your cookies. And I was like, check! That's exactly it, because it's so, in my brain, to be able to do a contrast that hits all the notes and just... Because usually I think quality is bringing everything together in this very cohesive way. Mm-hmm. But to be able to make sure that the single types stand out and yet work together, I'm really excited about that.
1: Wow. I want to pull you back a little bit here when you talk about a, a change in ABV. This is from Courage and Conviction. Correct. Which is uh, at 46.
2: Correct. The, okay. the lowest ABV we've done anything is the 46% ABV. So we're, we're just... Taking it up two notches. To, oh, the 48. <laughs> yes. Oh,
1: oh, yeah, there we go. Yep. I, I'm, uh, I've
2: wanted to do that since the beginning, so I'm really happy. <laughs> okay,
1: so so for our wonderfully nerdy listeners like ourselves, what are you finding from 46 to 48, texturally, flavor-wise? those two clearly make a difference or you wouldn't have done it. What are you finding?
2: Absolutely. I, as part of our job, you know, I'll always bring down the whiskey to a pretty low ABV and make sure all the notes work. Everything's harmonious, no faults to be found, nothing like that. But I love a higher ABV. I like the backbone and that structure, the shoulders of the alcohol working with all the flavors and alcohol is a conduit. It brings so many aromas up. And I think that 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 range right there really does allow um, the mouthfeel to work, the the layering to work. If you want to add a drop or two of water, it's going to bring in Mm -hmm. all the beautiful things. So it just checks all the boxes for me. And I'll always look at each individual product and think what would be the perfect ABV for this. And for this one right here... That forty eight percent just said yes, this is it. And we tried a lot. I went down as low as forty four forty five just to kind of experiment and hands down. <laughs> hands down forty eight one.
3: And I think especially with you know, bourbon cuvee, that forty-eight, you a little bit more viscosity, mm-hmm. a little bit more texture when you've got something like bourbon that tends to be a bit lighter and without the sherry in there, I think the forty eight does, you know, work really well and gives you a little more. Um, you know, texture and feel.
1: Yeah, a word we use is heft. It gives a little bit more heft to the experience. And then you're putting your single cast out at cast strength?
2: Cast strength. So, I mean, anywhere from 59% to, I think the lowest we've seen is 588 58. Yeah. Oh, that's a
1: tiny window, 58.8 to 59.6. For the couve, for
2: for sure. Yeah. And some of the bourbon casks are a little lower, like the V8 was the bourbon casks. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there's a range. Yeah.
1: Because I I think it it does start to to tell that extended story to the consumer, right? Here you are at a drinking strength, here you are at a range strength, 46 into the 48, but knowing they can get the single casks and then thankfully and much appreciated through our collaboration you know getting to put out hours at 60 plus on the on the 666 and then maybe follow up with a little more information from anything that was tasted today um, did, do you want to get out of here by by giving a little name check to the group that you spent time with last evening, Amanda?
2: Oh, I'd love that. <laughs> last they're The night. first name you mentioned <laughs> when
1: I came in the door. <laughs> it's
2: true. I had a lovely evening yesterday with the enthusiastic whiskey hobbyist crew. So they were so informed, so knowledgeable and passionate and fun. We had a blast just drinking whiskey and and had a great time and they mentioned you and (laughs) several of them surprised me and pulled out their single cast nation virginia distillery company collaboration so we had a lot of cheers going on and it was just really solid
1: that's brilliant they're they're great people they're great supporters of ours and i really hope after last night they become great supporters of yours as well
2: absolutely Uh,
1: well thanks a million for hosting me it's been wonderful talking to you both brian thank you ever so much thank you so much it's always a pleasure to have you and Amanda, thank you so much as well.
2: Cheers! Looking forward to next time.
1: Awesome! Here's to all three of us. Cheers. Cheers. I hope you enjoyed that, Joshua. I know that that sitting there, you know, spending all that time with Amanda and then getting Brian mm-hmm. returning to the room to, for us to close out the conversation was was really cool and. And really, I know we've done it previously, we've talked cask maturation. Mm, mm-hmm. and, and it was really important to me on the day to, to take the time to go cask type by cask type. Yeah. Because as we're standing in the cask house, Amanda and or Brian will say, here's that experiment we did with phenol. Here's that experiment we did with mm-hmm. cider. Mm-hmm. Here's mm-hmm. the standard QV slash STR. Here's the standard bourbon that we've got going on, as, as Amanda said in the interview. 50% of what they have on site is in bourbon. Yeah. And I, and I double-checked and confirmed the number with her. Twenty five percent remains in cuvee slash STR. Okay. So yeah. So so given the types of conversations that I get access to with the two of them mm-hmm. over the course of a visit, that's mm-hmm. what I wanted reflected in the interview, and and I'm hoping going cask by cask by cask really worked for the listeners, mm. and and they were okay with us kind of belabouring a bit of a nerdy point. Thinking back to some of our most recent
0: interviews, and, and I would consider Amanda's, or I should say your first interview with Amanda to be somewhat recent, right? Because it was, it was only last year, right? <laughs> um, it's It's been interesting to see how the pattern of our interviews seems to be following the pattern of American single malt whiskey becoming... A category,
1: mm. absolutely, absolutely, yep. There's a yeah. reason it came up in today's interview, Yeah. right? As right. As, as you just heard, right? I, I think your point is a good one. Is we got to speak with Steve, right? Mm-hmm. What a, a couple of a month ago, a couple of months ago. A month ago Time, yeah. how does it work? Some, some, yeah. Yeah. Right? There's there's Steve as they were coming up towards the end of the the comment period. Now mm-hmm. here we are talking to Amanda at the close of the comment period and waiting to see. You know, what does this look like when finalized? Sure. What will it mean for 2023? Nope. Yes, 2023. Yeah, in, 2023. Closing yeah. My <laughs> gosh. Oh, my gosh. I'm missing months and years. It's unbelievable. Um, but the other thing to, to kind of circle back on is when I was there, and I mentioned on a podcast about going down there in August. Yeah. And, and being told by uh, Amanda and Brian, these casks are, are tight, right? And, and the reason we covered the seasonality yes. and, and yes, the monthly yes, differences yes. in the yep. interview, right? Yep. These are tight. See the first drop of whiskey I tasted on my last visit, you know, somewhere second half of October. Immediately different experience. Immediately.
0: And and. It was back to some of the original casks you tasted in August. Or styles. Same yeah. style. Same style. Same style. Exactly. exactly. Yeah.
1: yeah, they were... And the thing that we kept saying in August was, there's nothing wrong with this cask. There's nothing mm. wrong with it. It's just the time of year where it's not going to be the full expression of itself. <laughs> and on that last visit, second half of October... Mm. And it was still forty nine degrees Fahrenheit when we were in the warehouse. Oh, it, right, it was it was yeah. a little chilly, yeah. but you could immediately taste the presence of the whiskey. Huh. And it and in August we were almost peering into our glasses like where's the whiskey in here yeah. physical liquid was in the glass yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah but it wasn't conveying itself over the nose or across the palate.
0: quiet okay
1: and even cold in october presented more profile than august if, we, if we're to compare scotland to virginia
0: or, or the other way around right virginia to scotland or kentucky to scotland etc or or even virginia to maybe the pacific northwest right where you're dealing with in scotland and where westland matures right you have this even temperature for the most part even temperature and humidity level and yet maturation is not linear i feel as if you're like you're lucky if you find the cask hitting at the right time mm-hmm. it sounds as if you have a few more signposts to go by when it comes to a distillery like Virginia Distillery or, you know, Insert Distillery here where seasonality really plays a part into the maturation. I love that they can say, I know it's tight now, but come
1: back in October. Then it's really right. going to shine. Right. Even the fact that they do, you know, Cask Boot Camp in September, they were going to do Cask Boot Camp where they went through. Tons of cask yeah, samples. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were gonna go, they were gonna do that three weeks after I was standing on site, oh, wow. being told now is now is never the time to taste. Never. Huh. Um it was only three weeks difference. And now Amazing. here we are four weeks removed from them having done cast boot camp into me being there tasting for you know what what will likely become an SCN selection. All right. And so it's, but then Amanda saying, January, February, March, we're not pulling casts from the warehouse. You know, we'll have, we'll have made our selections. We'll we'll pull them out of the warehouse. We'll have them in another holding bay that's not as cold as yeah, the warehouse. Okay. Yep. We know we'll be using them in January, yep. February, yep. March. Yeah. But there's no point pulling them from the warehouse in those months because they're not going to be showing nearly as well at that time yeah yeah they they've they've got the data there's no doubt about it they know exactly of what they speak and their their palates are cracking and 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 what I really like is their palates really jive with our palates and so we're talking same languages yes
0: (laughs) I'm laughing because you know as you as you're Describing all this, and and I'm thinking about them, right? You know, putting casks into other holding facilities, or maybe IBCs, something like that, to to stop the maturation process. And I'm thinking logistically how all of that's put together. And then you said, and their pallets are cracking. I'm like, oh, geez, they're not getting good pallets to hold these these barrels. And, no, you're saying their
1: pallets are really good. That's what you're yeah. saying. <laughs> Brian did talk a little bit about palletized leakage uh, right. in the latter part of the interview there. That's right. And so there is a little bit of something going on. But go. we're here to talk whiskey, we're here to talk whiskey. <laughs> and occasional logistics. <laughs> So sincere thanks to both of them for the amount of time they spent with me we all like I say we all shared lunch together we broke bread together we did the interview it's already planning my next visit down there um am I allowed the next to, chance go to next hang time out
0: around? like are you gonna allow my presence to be
1: at your you're you're Mr American an American will soon be flying direct into Shenandoah Valley so if you're okay oh. connecting through Charlotte, North Carolina, you will be arriving 20 minutes from my doorstep.
0: I'm in. I'm in. Yeah. I I really am desperate to get down to Virginia Distillery. I, like we've said this before, when you and I were running blogs and we were doing, you know, getting samples of the
1: Eads double malt. Yep. It was... Oh, I meant yeah. to take that down to taste with them. Shoot. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, it's sitting right beside me. It was meant to go into my spirits case, and I forgot. So Arg! I would, I wouldn't Next have for, time,
0: I wouldn't have forgotten. Um, no, I totally would have forgotten. But one hundred percent. Right, but it 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 was this this outfit. I don't even know if they were distilling at that time or building a distillery at that time, but it was one of these things that we were following early on, yeah. not necessarily yeah. knowing what they will become, and now we're seeing what they've become and are continuing to grow into and having bottled a cask from them. And it sounds like you may have a winner on your hands, and I'm looking forward to tasting that new sample, bottling another cask from them. It's it's exciting to know that our relationship with them goes back a good 12, 13 Years, it's wild, right? yeah,
1: yeah, really wild. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of what, a lot of kind of greater numbers of mature stocks seems to be coming in around five years old okay. at, at VDC. Okay. And so to okay. think of the length of that relationship we've got, and you're asking that question about when did they start distilling, mm. um, not when we started the relationship that much is for sure.
0: Yeah, okay. So, Jason... Mm. I feel as if we have a bit of news to share with our listeners. Just a wee bitty. Okay. Think it's enough to bring in the paperboy? Only you know what the news is. Extra,
1: extra, read all about it. Life story of Playboy's
0: penny. Extra, 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 read all about it. Me and that Playboy in trouble again. I've got two bits of news that are quite different from one another. I'm gonna start off with what, right? So quite often when we bring in the news, we're letting people know hey, we've got this whiskey coming in, we've got that whiskey coming in, or this whiskey's been ticking along. There's there's some still on our website, right? It's a bit salesy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're gonna get there. Before we get there, I wanted to let our listeners know, and, and people will have seen it on our on our Facebook page, whether it's the Single Cast Nation Facebook page, if you're a Facebook or a Single Cast Nation member, uh, or on our One Nation Under Whiskey Facebook page. But Jason, Haida and I and our kids are coming down to see you this Thanksgiving. Very true. And we are going to be recording yet another episode with our wives. And Haida has reached out to me. And she said,
1: <laughs> she reached out to you from across the house, <laughs> from,
0: sent me an just, email. Haida well, has sent me an email. <laughs> she, t- she, sent, she was sitting right next to me and she sent me a text. Um, <laughs> she had said, a memo. <laughs> she brought up a very good point. She said, have you reached out to your listenership for questions for us to ask you? And at the time, the answer was no. But by the time of this episode dropping, the answer is yes. So if you've not seen it in in and around Facebook, uh, we want you guys to know we're really keen for you to submit questions for our wives to ask us. And they could be anything that you want. It could be whiskey-related. It could be
1: what are these two jamokes like (laughs) related. Uh, What have you? I assume... I assume questions for the wives themselves are probably uh, like appropriate that. as well, All right? You, you know what? If you have questions
0: for us to ask our wives, there, yeah, you, there go. you go. So, yeah. Let's put this them in the This episode is seat.
1: one long production meeting. We are crushing it in production today. <laughs> <laughs> this is rocking. Um, my, my other production question for you is, have either of you told Tamara this is happening?
0: A long time ago when we, I thought it was Tamara <laughs> that said, when are we doing this again?
1: No, my boys. My boys want their turn. Okay. I don't know what my boys are planning, but they are eager to be on, which that frightens me. When a 15-year-old and a 12-year-old are eager to do something in the adult world. I know. (sighs) Uh, Right? I just... I feel as if they're
0: going to have grand plans that have nothing to do with adult conversations.
1: <laughs> Kyle will be like, is this when I can play my guitar now? Are your listeners ready to hear me play my guitar? Like, Kyle, I... this is a whiskey podcast. He's like, you talk Indiana Jones and video games. I know I can do anything during my time here. See here, this is Master of Puppets.
0: Yeah, and then and then Lars Ulrich sues us. Because <laughs> <laughs> Zevi's drums were better. <laughs>
1: Fucking one of those, those monkeys with the symbols are better than <laughs> Lars. Such a terrible thing. I, so I, I don't think tomorrow is against it. I just don't think tomorrow knows yet. Although she is on the Facebook, so maybe she saw the announcement on Facebook. What I'm trying to say, Joshua, is I haven't told tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm trying to tell you right now.
0: Well, I so. think it was I think it was the Kate C- Joe the Cable Man or whoever <laughs> he is that says get her done.
1: Oof.
0: Get her done.
1: Joe the cable guy or whoever he is. Larry. Larry the cable
0: guy. Oh, I'm thinking Joe the plumber.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All those blue collar workers are the same to you. The problem's over there. Fix it. (laughs) Don't tell me your name. It doesn't matter. I just want my faucet to run. Did you ever watch, uh, fuck,
0: uh, the Gene Simmons Family Jewels?
1: I'm going to be honest with you. I have not. I may have actively avoided it.
0: Like the way you talked about it reminded me of this this episode where, so it's a reality TV show about uh-huh. Gene Simmons and his wife mm-hmm. and his kids and and his son is fixing a car or something like that. And Gene comes out and watches him fix the car. <laughs> and he says, what are you doing? He says, I'm fixing the car. He says... As for the goyim to do, (laughs) (laughs) he's he's such a terrible person. Um, Anyway, anyway, so yeah, this is a hell of a news segment, (laughs) right? So, so, so tell Tamara about this because we're we're going to make this big. And if if you will send her a a fax, send her her a fax. Uh, Maybe maybe Morse code.
3: Morse code.
0: I'll tap it out on my desk.
1: Yeah. See if she hears.
0: Here, give her this. Go. Just give her a little YYZ. Okay. Um, yeah, so if your boys have a question or so, maybe my... I guarantee
1: my girls won't. They'll be like, whatever. Nope. See, that's that's why this plan has, has taken on the form it has, because Haida's really digging this right she had a yeah. she had a really good time Shit. on that first episode yeah and, and tomorrow tomorrow enough of a good time but whereas my boys are now like our turn our turn your girls are not in the same place oh yeah. so it's, it's a little switcheroo <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> and so we've got your wife and my boys but tomorrow i'll 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 have words i'll <laughs> owe her something big i'll have words probably, with her i will <laughs> I'll I'll take her her out to the uh, office, garden, garden office. We'll have words. Second
0: bit of news is come tomorrow, or the the day after the release of this episode, November 3rd, we are releasing two whiskeys. The first is a marriage of two casks from our partners at Copperworks Distillery out of Seattle. Again, back to American single malt, right? Kind of staying with a theme here. And uh, getting away from that theme, and, and I want to talk about that uh, in in just a minute. But the, the other whiskey that's being released at the same time is our marriage of four Indiana whiskey casks, three bourbon and one rye. This is a marriage that we put together that we think is just absolutely friggin' cracking, and the price is spot on. I think it's really good for a nice... Um, end of November, get into the holiday season. Tipple for people, so, so I'm really excited about that. It's an Indiana distillery. I'm sure you could figure out who it came from. Just take a look at the cask numbers. That that might help you a little bit. I think a lot of listeners, when you say Indiana whiskey, they get an understanding of what a flavor that flavor profile can present. I think you and I did as good a job as we could to. To zig, while other Indiana whiskeys are zagging. That's why we did the marriage of the bourbon and the rye. But could we, I know there's a tasting video? But I'd like to talk about this this marriage of two Copperworks casks and what mm-hmm. Copperworks Single Malt is is doing because I I think a lot of our listeners simply may not be as familiar with Copperworks as they are. With an MGP bourbon. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> with an Indiana bourbon awry.
1: <laughs> I think that is a safe statement to make. Um, well, one of the things with the, the relationship with Copperworks is from the very beginning, we were able to talk about barley varietals. Mm. We were able to talk about specific geographical locations for where things were being grown we were able to talk about particular toasting or charring levels on staves. We were able to talk particular yeast strains. Mm. And so it, it has really served as a significant deconstruction of American single malt. Yeah. At the same time, without flavour, you've got nothing. Yeah, so right. while those to me are the fun details of the project, Mm -hmm. the fact that it's a top quality American single malt coming out of Copperworks is what really carries the day.
0: Yeah, you know what? Thinking back to the first time we tasted Copperworks or at least the first time that I tasted Copperworks was back when we had the Jubilee in Mm -hmm. Seattle and in tasting what Jeff brought to the table it was nice in putting this together that that i feel as if what we tried to do hope i think we were successful in creating what we thought would be a stellar example of what copper works does best right offering up that really multi-forward profile that also has it sort of like like stone fruit like peaches or apricots but there's also that kind of that fennel seed or that, that like caraway seed going on. There's an herbaceousness mixed with a fruitiness that works so well in this one. I just, I, I love, I keep coming back to it.
1: What about the fact we can add on, as I was saying a moment ago, that they're both harvest genie barley planted in 2017. I can tell you that cast 294 Grain grew in Walla Walla, Washington While cast 321 The grain grew in Athena, Oregon What about the fact I can tell you that Cast 294 was a Number 3 char With Ooh. 18 month age Staves Oh yeah, In New American Oak from Kelvin Cooperage But I can tell you cast 321 Was number 2 char From 36 month age Staves in new american oak from canton cooperage right like this this is what i mean those details are Mm -hmm. not going to change how this combination of casks no tastes right no but 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 i think that it it talks to
0: where those flavors are coming from right when you're talking a number two char that's pretty light right which goes to show you that's why that maltiness remains, right? It's not overtaking the grain. And this is something that you and I talk about all the time. One of the reasons we go after whiskeys matured in a 2nd fill bourbon cask is the wood steps away and lets the spirit character shine through. And I think that's what these casks are doing because of the lower char levels and that the 18 months of, of air
1: drying. And that's that's what I really... Doug about the conversation with Amanda, which is why are you putting that new mix spirit in that particular cask? Mm-hmm. What are you looking to get out of that relationship? Yeah. And is it it gives this flavor room to come through? Or does it give something from the fermentation, a note from the fermentation mm-hmm. room to breathe? Listen to Amanda talk about the ex bourbon barrels from Brown Foreman. They frame the whiskey. And they let the whiskey become itself within the cask. Sherry might partner with the whiskey to go in another direction. Red wine might bring a red berry note that complements part sure. of the fermentation. So I love what you're saying about a number two char allows that multi character, that single malt, to mm-hmm. tell its story. Yeah. It allows the The wash to come through, the distillate to come through, and really get framed by that bulk yeah and this is what this is one
0: of the many things I love about the Pacific Northwest American single malt producers is they're unlike Scotland, and this is not me knocking Scotland it's just two very different you know styles of production, but unlike Scotland, distilleries like. Westland Copperworks Westward, they are putting so much care into their wash, into their fermentation, to make a f- cracking beer, like the best beer that they could make, hopless, of course. To then distill, where right? Go ahead.
1: Ollie just made this point in the last episode, right, where he's talking about the attention to detail that happens yeah, at the Kentucky yeah, distilleries yeah, that he was yeah, visiting. Yeah, yep. Meanwhile, in Scotland, you know the The bigger established distilleries yeah, yep. operate according to tradition,
0: yeah. and
1: and and all saying, like you know, if you just tweak that and that, it could taste even better. Even better. And they yeah. say, and they say, but we've never tweaked that and that, so we're gonna just keep hands off, and we're just gonna keep doing this the way we have done it. There's a beauty to that. There's a simplicity to that. There's a terrific tradition to that, but it's not the only way to make whiskey. And that's what I've enjoyed the most about talking about American single malt is it's another way to make whiskey. It's not better. It's not worse. It's different. Let's celebrate that.
0: And that's why I bring up that care and attention to how they make the wash and the fact that they're not specifically choosing casks that would flood the spirit flavor Mm -hmm. with whatever Mm -hmm. was previously in that cask, right? Why? And and I would admit I I, I bet you copper works in a first fill Spanish oak sherry cask probably tastes fantastic, mm-hmm. but there's something to be said for honoring the fermentation portion of the overall production. So yeah, I think and not, I'm and so not everybody
1: has to do it the same way, right? Yeah, no, <laughs> what's, yeah, Yeah, what's your thumbprint? What are you doing that makes it yeah. yours? Yeah. And here we are with our first foray into copper works. Indeed. And I'm very, I'm very excited to get this finally released. We have been sitting on this one for a while and ready to get it out into the world.
0: Yep, very excited about that. So so those are the two bits of news that I wanted to bring up. The fact that we are going to have a, a wives and apparently kids episode of the podcast. Uh, and uh, and then we have these two whiskies that are being released Tomorrow they are online only. The bourbon and rye marriage of casks, four casks, is gonna be a solid $75 a bottle. And there's no limit to purchasing on that. If you want to get one, two, three, four, five, six, you can go ahead and do that. Fifteen dollars flat. Yeah, you want to do twelve, sure. <laughs> and the copper works will be ninety-five. Ninety-five American dollars. So two two bottlings. Both under hundred dollars a piece. Combine them. We still have some other whiskeys on our on our website, so check that out. The holidays are
1: coming. Well, and and certainly just to give a quick shout out when you say things that remain on on the website, the Good Ride support that attempt mm-hmm. to, to raise the money for uh, Good Ride tanks for troops is off to a great start. We continued to sell that through the month of October, and and we'll have that. On the website as long as it's available through Giving Tuesday. So get in, make your donation, get onto that bottle lottery list, and help us raise good money for charity.
0: Yep. Yeah, beauty. Beauty. Yeah, and we'll we'll be talking about Giving Tuesday again in, in the next episode because that's when we get down to brass tacks and we're letting you know what bottles will be up for raffle. And again, this tanks for troops bottling aside where you are giving to a specific charity as it has always been since we started it the giving tuesday charity drive is where you give to the charity of your selection not our selection your selection and i think that's that's a very important distinction that we've been pretty proud of
1: 100% so. yep well yep. said
0: <laughs> So that there ends our news segment. And, and Jason, I'm looking at my wrist.
1: Okay. But top of it? Underside of it?
0: No, no, no. The, the, the top of it. Top of your wrist. Yep. It's sitting atop my, my left wrist, to be specific. Mm-hmm. What do you think's on my left wrist? I'll give you three guesses. Go ahead. What's on my left wrist?
1: There's a Hershey's kiss.
0: All right. That's okay. That's one choice.
1: Am I, am I right? You said three guesses. Did I get it first time?
0: I want to. I want to hear them all before I can. Oh, okay. Yeah.
1: Guess number two. Postage stamp. <laughs> is there a postage stamp on your left wrist? On I top. do. Oh, that's on the underside. underside. That's on the you underside. Said the top. Yeah, yeah, it's always on the you underside. Said the top. Yeah. Yep. Um, is it an African elephant? That's my third and final guess. It's
0: actually an Indian elephant. They're the smaller variety. Right? Because you can't fit an African elephant on your wrist. They're much too large. Uh, it's actually a I'm European so swallow. Or is it an African swallow? i ah. cursing
1: myself right now. Cursing myself. <laughs> but what is
0: on the top of your left wrist, Joshua? What's on the top of my left wrist is a watch. And that watch is telling me, you guys better wrap this up because it's been a while. So, I'm glad we took the time for those
1: three guesses. <laughs>
0: Without further ado, Jason, thanks to you for interviewing Amanda and Brian. Uh, thanks to Amanda for coming back on again. Brian, thanks for, for um, showing up towards the
1: end. Oh, yeah. I need to say one last thing. All right, go ahead. Dustin, distillery manager at VDC, joined us for lunch. Oh, for breaking bread together. Yeah. Yep. And he told me something I did not know. Whiskey pirate, Jay Cole. Yeah, Jay Cole, yeah. Was at the distillery. Oh, you didn't know that, yeah. (laughs) And now we're from my house. Jay, you're on watch, my friend. Jay's on watch. He was on his way to North Carolina, so I understand why he didn't come back up into the valley. Okay. But still, still, personally hurt, personally hurt. And Jay took along our first Wolf Island bottling. Mm Mm-hmm. And Dustin took time out of lunch to say, "That was exceptional. What you achieved in that Wolf island was very special." Wow. And he said, "For an island whiskey to have that profile, the fruit, but then still the earthy, and yeah. still to have, you know, the spirit be present." Mm-hmm. He said that was really fantastic. And, and yeah. I said, "Well, Dustin, I cannot tell you the distillery. It was a single malt, and we did put together five unpeated casks with one peated cask. And take two will be coming to the US some point in the hopefully not too distant future. Mm-hmm. Be sure to look out for it." So, I, I out of the blue, out of absolutely nowhere, he started I talking like about Wolf Island, and it was it was thanks to. To J. Cole, Whiskey Pirate. All right,
0: Jason, let us. We're out of here this time. That's awesome. Get out of
1: here. Two
0: chins. Two chins indeed.